It takes more than turning your stable monolith into an incomprehensible, expensive, and error-prone distributed system to be a great software engineer. This is episode 125 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host and microservice orchestrator, Dave Smith. Hey, have you had experience taking OneNote and turning it into 500 <laughs> nodes running on Kubernetes and nope. then having it not work anymore? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> no, but I am, I am hopelessly expensive just like that. <laughs> distributed systems are only better than your stuff already being broken <laughs> soft skills engineering is a podcast where we talk about all of the non-technical stuff that goes into the technical field of software development um all the stuff unlike distributed systems and monoliths <laughs> and but we do talk a lot about complaining and distributed teams yeah that all applies technically and non-technically we have some wonderful <laughs> patreons or patrons. Patreon didn't like invent the idea. <laughs> Do you want to talk about those people, Dave? Uh, I will talk about them <laughs> okay. right behind their back. Okay. This week, we'd like to thank the people who are contributing at a level that gets them a shout out every week. They are David Jackson, Dustin Coates, Ken Howard, Matthew Wodowicz, Nick Cantar, Sean Clayton, and Zach Grannon. Thank you for supporting the show. If you would like to contribute financially to the show, we would very much appreciate it. Go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. Thank you so much. We actually had a question come in. Where can I order stickers so I can put it on my MacBook and spread the word about this great podcast? Two square inches of podcast logo would be awesome swag. <laughs> yep. Four square inches would be twice as awesome. Two. Well, that and that's actually what we have is a... Oh, wait. We have about... No, we have about two square inches. I think they're two inches tall and one inch wide. Oh. Right? I don't know. What if we just make them like... A, a single strip, one pixel high, that's really long. <laughs> Two square inches and single pixel. Have you seen the one-dimensional Wolfenstein 3D thing? No. Wait, maybe. Well, it's like that, basically. It's just Anyways. Like a, okay. <laughs> we should answer this person. Yes. Uh, okay, if you want stickers, um, you can do what we asked people to do on Twitter, which has been awesome, <laughs> which is... Send a direct message to us on Twitter at SoftSkillsENG, and all you have to do is write a haiku about the show, and we will send you stickers in the mail if you also include a mailing address. And bonus points if your mailing address is a haiku. I'm trying to figure out the cost of moving somewhere so that my address could be a haiku <laughs> versus the effort of writing a haiku. 123 Main Street could be the first line. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's not a real address. That can't be. It's only in movies. <laughs> All right, we should answer some questions. I'm going to go ahead and read the first one. This is from a listener named Shane. Hey, guys, do you have any tips for making brainstorming sessions more bearable? In my experience, I've found that it's very hard to keep this type of meeting productive. I don't think this is necessarily anyone's fault, and I love the idea of making sure all sorts of folks have a path to contribute. But many times when I've seen these types of meetings organized, many participants don't have enough context or the subject matter expertise to produce genuinely helpful ideas. I think it's really powerful when cross-discipline teams collaborate well on a project or feature. So I am guess I'm wondering if there are practical ways to generate the culture of trust and mutual respect that is needed for this to actually work. Thoughts? Hmm. You need to have unuseful ideas so that the useful ideas stick out. Otherwise, <laughs> how do you pick? <laughs> you know, there's a grain of truth to that, you know? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. I read this great book. I think we've talked about it on the show. 
a few years ago, three or four years ago, called Multipliers, and it's a it's basically a leadership guide for business. Um, I know don't don't pinch your nose right away, but one of the key like character traits of uh, what they call a multiplying leader is to be a debate maker. And sometimes it means looking stupid by tossing out obviously bad ideas, but which can seed a conversation that turns into good ideas, you know? So there you go. Bad ideas are good ideas. I think I think you've mentioned this book enough times that I should probably read it. <laughs> I think this is your most mentioned book on the podcast. I'm not sure I've um, mentioned any other books. <laughs> <laughs> He's read one book in his life. I, I've read so many books and I don't remember anything from him. So maybe I'm worse <laughs> off. Since reading that book, I have only read fiction. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. You're like, what could be better? Nothing. I've learned all the business <laughs> knowledge I need. Yeah. I, I wonder what makes them unbearable. I feel like the ones that I go to that seem unhelpful there's usually one person who's using the meeting to just like show off in front of people. Oh, that's and it's an air quotes brainstorming session, but it's really just one dude up front who's like, check out how smart I am. And then just writes down a bunch of smart stuff on the whiteboard. And everyone's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and they, it, it's, it's like in their service almost not, not just trying to solve a problem. It's like trying to vet that they are the smart person. It's like a self-esteem booster. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the source of most of the discomfort for me. The mm-hmm. another source of it's not discomfort, it just makes it un, unhelpful is if I just have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. The question asker mentions um making sure everybody can contribute, people have enough context. I feel like that's that has to be the beginning when you start the meeting, right? You have to start with a clear definition of the problem that you're trying to solve. And if you don't, then people will come in with wildly different expectations of what you're doing. And the context imbalance is a huge problem in these meetings because, you know, you could be going deep. Maybe you and someone else are going deep on some topic because you happen to have context and -hmm. everyone else is just like no idea what they're talking about. You know, that happens to me all the time. And (laughs) some of the time it's even not my fault. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think you have to start off. There's this really good book. I'll we're going to turn this into a business book battle. Have you read Good <laughs> Strategy, Bad Strategy? No. <laughs> it's really good. One of the things it proposes is that a strategy has to start off with a clear description of the problem. And this isn't, I don't know, it's not, you don't have to come up with a strategy in a brainstorming session, but having a clear description of the problem is pretty essential for evaluating whether these ideas are any good or not. Because if you don't understand the problem, like, I don't know, how, uh, what what makes a good idea? Mm-hmm. Whoever, like, the, the highest status person that proposed an idea is just, like, the good idea or something. I or don't the, know. the tallest person or the loudest person. The tallest person. person, the loudest person. Those are often all the same person. <laughs> As a short man. I shake my fist at the world and its injustice. You shake your fist upward toward the heads of the others. Yep. A short balding man, even worse. Oh, no. Yep. Um, yeah, so I think starting with context and and also um, maybe a little bit of 
priming of how you expect a brainstorming session to work. I think a way I've seen these fail is people move on to exploring a specific solution too quickly. In in my mind, part of the purpose is to create a bunch of potential ideas or solutions. And if you leave that mode too quickly, you leave a bunch of things unexplored. So the, mm -hmm. the ones I've been in that seem most effective, there's some maybe a time limit or we need like this many solutions or there's some constraint to make sure we don't just dive down the one that people get excited about really quickly. Like you generate ideas and you keep generating them not until you arrive at like the first one that a couple people like. So you're saying like a breadth first search. Yeah, I think so. I think that that makes it easier to compare ideas too. And maybe you'll see more themes emerge or something like that. But like, especially with engineers, we, we just love to solve problems it's it's like oh it's so hard not to just go solve it you know mm -hmm. and so often i feel like the first solution that seems reasonable people are like okay well what are the what are the consequences of this what other problems are going to pop up because of this and how do we solve those and you just like spiral <laughs> yeah. yeah into like designing that solution where like implementing it basically <laughs> yeah yeah it turns into yeah an implementation meeting which i there's a time for that but the first idea is not always necessarily the best idea or even the first good idea. So I think making sure you feel like you've you've come up with enough breadth first is important. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to rein that in. Like I do that myself completely. I get sucked oh, yeah. into that all the time. Because it's actually fun. Yeah, it is. It's super fun. Yeah, and it feels like you're making progress. You're a manager, you know, and it's like, hey, cool, technical discussion. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> I, I yeah. think... I think that what you said was a clear definition of the problem uh, is great, is a very good first step. And then the next step is making sure that everybody has equal levels of context or at least meets a minimum context bar. Because if you jump one layer deeper than people bring context to understand, then they're just out. It's like it's like a pro wrestling match. They get tagged, boom, they're out. <laughs> you know, they have to sit on the sidelines. Yep. Um, you can everybody tell, brings uh, their laptop to meetings. Yeah, yeah. Email Turns time. Out there's baby. a lot of stuff you could do on that <laughs> laptop besides listen. Oh yeah, and oh man, when I see people check out of meetings like that, I just feel so bad because I'm like, okay, I I actually don't know whether you're not interested, whether you lack context. Like, what do I need to do to get you on track? And the eight other people in this meeting that are also <laughs> checked out, you know? Yeah, that's hard. So how do, I don't know how do you do that? How do you bring context, or in, how do you ensure that people have the right context? Hmm. I think it's helpful to do preparation here. Maybe you talk to a couple representative samplings of people and see what they already know about it. You, for me, I I usually have to explain more than I think I have to explain. Mm -hmm. um, I I sometimes assume that everyone's head is the same as my head and stuff that I know they already know in all kinds of ways. But especially it applies in this where I think, well, I understand this well, other people do too. So reining that in a little bit and and uh, just having a little more empathy with what people actually understand, maybe just asking yeah. them too. If, that, if they're the kind of person that would say like, no, I do not understand this thing that you're talking about. Some yeah. people might just that, smile that's and very nod rare. and then... Yeah, yeah. I, it's but, very hard to to find out what people don't know, Be because for two reasons, like they don't know what they don't know, especially on the spot in front of other people in the meeting. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, okay, who doesn't know what's going on? All right, everybody knows. <laughs> okay, good. We're moving forward. <laughs> I see no hands. All right. <laughs> Please place this cap upon your head if you do not understand. <laughs> All right. No dunces here. Everybody's on board. <laughs> Huh, looks like all the ideas came from me. Weird, I guess I'm the smartest one. <laughs> Give me the smartest person hat. <laughs> it's it's an inverted dunce cap. It's just like a point <laughs> that goes outward. <laughs> so that's one reason, I think, why it's hard to figure out what people don't know. But the other reason is, like, you're talking about unknown unknowns Some in a lot of cases in these brainstorming sessions where it's like, I may come to the table not knowing that this team has already tried three different implementations for this problem that we're brainstorming about. And I could just start blathering about one of those and then everyone will be like, uh, we already did that and it didn't work for these reasons, you know? And so it's yeah. like, oh, I, how could I have known? I didn't even know that that was something I could have known. Yeah. So it's hard. It's hard to figure that out. I think one key here is to limit the size of the meeting or the number of meeting participants pretty aggressively. You know, when you start getting over five or six participants at the same time, it can be hard to have an effective meeting where everyone participates. Yeah, I think that's pretty true. It's also easier to figure out what people know in a smaller group. And it's also more comfortable to admit not knowing in a smaller yeah. group. Yeah, for sure. And it's more comfortable to give your ideas out in a smaller group because you're less worried about... It's a smaller group of people that can point and laugh at you. Yeah. <laughs> right? You're like, I could conceivably beat all these people up <laughs> if there's like 30 people not a chance I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I've seen some martial arts movies and like the hero does it so it's possible but, but it'd be hard but that hero was using special powers that I don't have yeah <laughs> yeah um, um, one of the oh, things just real quick on this topic is that I think some people are hardwired to thrive in this kind of environment and others are not and I mean, I would venture to say that at least half the engineers I know, if not more, do not thrive in a real-time, face-to-face brainstorming session with three, four, five-plus people, you know? Um, I I do. I love these kinds of environments. I, I process things. I process audio quickly, and I, in a face-to-face environment, I, I love... I don't know. I can just, I can go fast. I can, I can internalize and and move quickly in that environment. And I actually kind of languish and do poorly when I'm sitting in isolation, trying to figure out a a problem. I do better when I can talk it through with someone, but I think Mm. that more engineers are not that way from my experience. I do okay when it's about generating ideas, but I don't do well when it's, when it dives into solving the problem in, in real time in front of people. I definitely like time to kind of sit back and write it up. And some of it is like, I'll write down a thing and then look at it and think, oh, that's wrong. And then go change it. Right. And it's, it's easier to do that in my own private little cave instead of in front of other people. Mm -hmm. But also some of it is, I honestly have a hard time keeping up. I feel like I'll, I'll be in a meeting and people will just kind of like start running ahead of me and I'm I'm trying to process the implications of what's going on and then suddenly they're like four decisions down the line like wait but but all these other things and I don't know it just it feels like it moves on often yeah maybe my brain is just a little slow 
So what's our conclusion here, besides your brain is a little slow? <laughs> well. <laughs> Take your time to think of an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I stand by my original points, that I think you need to make sure people have context, that you need to make sure you have a definition of, of the problem that you're trying to solve, and you need to generate a bunch of ideas before you try and solve them. I think your your points are really good, too around limiting the size and making them that, that that all seems around making them more comfortable to participate in right yeah is, is there a case to be made for asynchronous brainstorming sessions have you seen any of the open source rfc processes no i don't i don't think so a bunch of projects have adopted them uh ember and react to on the front end there's there's a bunch of other ones too and then some of it is even i guess technically that's how like the ECMAScript committee and, and to some extent web standard stuff works where people will just submit a proposal and it'll kind of get worked through asynchronously in, in code or documentation or, or a spec or, or even like a formal grammar or something. And then after it churns through a bit, there's some discussion about it. And that's not really brainstorming. That's more about solving the specific problem. But there there is this period of like submit a bunch of less detailed proposals, and then some of them will kind of move on. Hmm. I imagine the trade-off there is that that process is a lot slower. Yeah, it's way slower. And it is, I think it requires quite a bit of effort even for an early process or an early proposal. Yeah. It's not just like, say, a phrase. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so you're saying like, like, like there's more documentation rigor and stuff? Yeah. Even if there weren't, though, you can imagine it requires a significant amount of of exertion to keep the thing rolling with momentum. Like it could fizzle yeah. out pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Like in a meeting, I could just say like Kubernetes on the blockchain and someone will go write it on the whiteboard. <laughs> Boom. Proposal accepted. All right. Yeah. I've contributed to the brainstorming. Doesn't matter what problem it is. There's a solution. <laughs> there are no bad ideas here. <laughs> um, but I, if, oh, if it were, that's it. I would have to like write it up and I would write up nonsense and then <laughs> and then convince yourself this was a terrible idea and never submit it yeah but okay all right to help people who who struggle in this kind of environment we could make a web app that will just generate brainstorming ideas for them <laughs> you put in a few keywords and it will like have an ontology that it can trace to find semi-related words and construct you know grammatically correct sentences for you that could go on a whiteboard that sounds like a lot of work to commit to a joke. I was hoping it would be like a lot easier. <laughs> that sounds hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's the real solution. Barring that, I feel like we've <laughs> talked about some good ideas. Yeah, I think so. Good luck. Best of luck to you, Shane. Do you want to read our next question, Dave? Sure, this comes from Lydia. Lydia says, first time question asker, long time listener here. We have a really important problem. That's capital R really, capital I important, capital P problem, at work. In Slack, people tend to use at channel instead of at here. What are some strategies for educating everyone that they should be using at here and not at channel? I especially don't want anyone to feel shamed or called out in the moment. Thanks. I know Lydia. I'm pretty sure. I think we met at a conference a while ago. Oh, cool. Hey. Um. So I... I'm in a Slack channel with 
about 30,000 people in it. <laughs> the general channel has about 30,000 people. Wow. And actually, people don't do at channel as much in that one as they do in some of the other ones I'm in. So I dare, the, you, uh, I dare you to do an at channel right now and just see what happens. I can tell you what would happen. You know how you can add custom emojis to Slack? Mm-hmm. Someone added an emoji that just says, do not at channel with a grumpy face after it. And every time someone at channels, a bunch of people react to their message with that. Okay. So Lydia said, I don't want anyone to feel shamed or called out in the moment. The solution is basically shaming and calling people out in this passive aggressive emoji reaction way. <laughs> and I can't tell if it works because there are 30,000 people. So even if it worked at that one person, like... There's 29,999 people to mess up again. Just, just waiting in line to take his place. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And the I don't know, maybe at that number there's enough turnover that like it doesn't matter that there are always new people joining who haven't Oh man. haven't seen that. At that scale, if every person makes the mistake just once every 5 years, you still are going to have that happen every day. Yeah. It doesn't happen every day. It happens more in in topic specific channels, but I think there's even more chatter in those channels too. There isn't too much chatter in the general channel. Okay, so we, hold on one second. I think we got a little deep here. For those of our listeners that don't use Slack, we should probably describe the difference between at yeah, our, and this is our modern assumptions, right? Like yeah, what's Slack? Well, everybody uses Slack. <laughs> so what's the difference? So at channel notifies everyone, even whether they're logged into Slack or not. If you're not logged into Slack, you might get a push notification on your phone or next time you log in, you'll see a little number. And it's, if you're like me, you'll be compelled to go click on the number to make it disappear and read mm -hmm. the thing that they sent. And, um, at here notifies people who are currently online, like with their Slack app open. Okay. So it's a so it's a, a smaller number of people, theoretically people that are kind of around already. So you wouldn't like rouse someone out of bed or bug <laughs> them during dinner or whatever if they're if they're not online on Slack right now. Great description. I appreciate that. See, I thank I, you. I only use I thought IRC. you were gonna ask what is Slack? Slack is a chat app. <laughs> Good point. It's like IRC, but it costs money. And if you talk to people that like IRC, they'll tell you it's worse. And if you talk to people <laughs> that like Slack, they'll tell you it's better. Yeah, because they bought it. <laughs> as someone who only uses irc and only uses vi key bindings in irc <laughs> i have no idea what slack is you could just shorten it to say as someone who's better than you <laughs> <laughs> um this is i mean this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek question but i think there's a serious thing here around how do you communicate etiquette and and what is the correct like asynchronous communication etiquette Theoretically, one of the benefits of text communication like this is it can be asynchronous and you can look at it whenever you want. And like maybe everyone at channels everyone all the time and you just customize your notifications so you don't get bugged. And then when you log back on, you see you see all of it. But I think realistically that doesn't happen. Yeah. And most people have a little bit of that slack mania where you got to make the numbers go away. Mm -hmm. um, I have one potential actual good solution that i haven't looked in to see if it's good but i think you could make a slack bot that dms people and says hey maybe don't do that unless it's an emergency oh. or, or whatever the language you want to use just yeah. to tell people because then you're not calling them out publicly that's bad 
And I don't think you would be shaming people if you phrased it right. You have you can make it some friendly phrasing of like yeah, I don't know whatever. But um, that would be automated, so you wouldn't have to remember to enforce it. I guess the downside is it's only after the fact, so it's kind of too late. But they probably wouldn't do it again. Yeah, I think it would be memorable. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I typed at channel and this robot started talking to me. <laughs> I mean, alternatively, the, the Slack bot could at channel them back and say like, hey, channel, <laughs> this person screwed up real bad. Wait, wait, wait. That violates one of the constraints on the question. Yeah, that's true. That was a bad idea. I do like the idea of a Slack bot that says, hey, just wanted to let you know, everyone does this once or twice here, but at our company, we've decided that the best policy for Slack is to use at channel and not at here. For info on the difference, here's a link describing what oh, it is. Oh, Dave, you IRC ignoramus. <laughs> it's the other way around. Use at here, not at channel. Oh, dang it. <laughs> dang it. Sorry. <sighs> it's too hard to keep them straight when your brain is full of all these VI key bindings. Right? I know. I only have room for VI key bindings. All this bindings. useful knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> when I first got on these modern chat systems, just a slight tangent here, I remember being so amazed that you could get messages that happened while you were not online. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Remember when it seemed so good? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting that it feels like our understanding has evolved a little bit. And there's there's now some recognition of a downside of persistent always on communication. You mean like how we're all responsible for scrolling back over the whole day's conversation every day to figure out what we missed? Yeah, every time chat stuff comes up, I always think of that 37 Signals article about um, some of the downsides. And these are people who created Campfire, one of the early kind of IRC replacements. And one point they had was that it's kind of like meetings, but worse because they happen a line at a time. And it only depends on, like, if if you're there reading them in real time, then you kind of get the context. And if not, you just find out later. There's some interesting thoughts in there about the downsides of it yeah a tangent be gone tangent yeah, what do you do back. to solve this problem <laughs> <laughs> so i i really i liked your idea of the slack bot but i would add to it one thing where maybe you could create some onboarding documentation that's kind of like a enshrined policy of etiquette at your company that mm-hmm. as a team you can debate you know what you want that etiquette to be and then you put it up on your company website or wiki or whatever and then you can link to it and just say, hey, here's how we've decided to do Slack etiquette. And also code reviews and also, you know, other team communication things. Here's how we roll. Yeah. I like the idea of making this implicit thing a little more explicit. And it seems like it'd be helpful in general just to take some time to define your communication etiquette. That that seems like it could pay dividends. Like, um, when are you expected to respond to emails, right? Like, maybe there's some late night emailers but they don't expect people to read them until they get back in the morning or or maybe you maybe the expectation is nobody sends emails after work right or respond all the time or yeah i could see that there there is some culture that you kind of pick up through observing people that it might be nice to explicitly decide on what it is instead of just let what happens happen it seems like kind of a pain in the butt to try and get people to actually follow that though yeah, and you also don't want to be the person who's like constantly sending a link to the etiquette doc and being like, uh uh uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tisk tisk. Make, this, make the Slack bot do that. <laughs> That's true. So just make the computers be the bad guys. 
Was it Khan Academy? I think they made their whatever their version of Slackbot was in their chat system. I'm pretty sure they made it just periodically post stuff from their engineering handbook. Well, that's clever. Kind of some of their values and culture stuff to try and keep it on top of people's minds. So maybe you could do something like that in general. Hi, and, and I'm your Slackbot. I'm just here yeah. to remind you that we've decided not to write bugs. At channel. Hey, remember not to <laughs> at channel people because it's against our communication guidelines. <laughs> yep. You know, this This just, this the comment about uh, shaming and, and calling out, this just highlights to me how different the industry has become, for the better, frankly, than it was 15 to 20 years ago when I got my start, back in the days of the LART on IRC. I don't know if you've heard of LART, Jameson. I have not. Uh, it's a it's an acronym. I'll just have you look it up because it's kind of ridiculous. But, um, you know, it, it, it goes right in the vein with the BOFH and other acronyms that you can look up on the jargon file, um, which basically were exactly that. They were tools for shaming and public callouts. So, like, we've just really changed when it comes to etiquette. I think the industry as a whole is moving to a more softer average. Yeah. I, I agree. In the past... I feel like IRC etiquette would be like yell at this person and call them stupid, right? And I don't know that that's a healthy attitude to have. So I think it's great to try and figure out a a thoughtful way to do this. I, I'm trying to figure out if I've ever dealt with this directly. I've honestly probably been the person at channeling people too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there, um, is there a way just to disable at channel? No, I think you can, I don't even know if you can turn off the notifications that come from it. Oh, you man. can like have them not go to your phone, but I think you might have to get rid of other notifications to your phone too. I don't know. I'm not a Slack maestro, Slack wizard, <laughs> Slack mechanic, <laughs> senior Slack configurer. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just close Slack a lot. I just quit it and mm -hmm. do other work and then mm -hmm. open it back up sometimes. Because I am, I am, yeah, I am just in thrall of getting rid of the little notification badges. Me too. I think you and I, I don't know, you may have predated me on this, but over the last few months, I've just aggressively turned off anything that can put a number on my phone or a number on my computer's desktop. Oh, it's horrifying. I, I look at my wife's phone and she has like 8,000 emails unread. I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then just like shoot it away like it's a spider <laughs> doesn't it just make you want to go open the phone and just tap on each one you know it does clear clear clear, clear. yeah it it does it, it, it's like a productivity trap it makes part yeah. of my brain feel productive to get rid of numbers but it doesn't actually get anything done i don't know that's so i I'm sure i know I'm sure lydia knows all about this we're on a but, bit of a tangent oh, now but i remember the instant when my brain switched from the mode of not caring about the numbers to caring so much that it like became a burden and it was i had my email open this is probably 10 years ago and i had a bunch of folders that had numbers by them representing like messages that had been sent there by by virtue of a rule an automatic like forwarding rule to my folder it was like mailing mm -hmm. lists and stuff you know that's how i organized my email and one of my coworkers saw that and he said to me, oh, look at all those numbers. Doesn't that bother you? And I looked over at them and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it does. And ever since then, I had to clear them all to zero. 
Like anytime I saw one that was above zero, I had to clear it. And it took me probably 10 years to realize what a, how that had just taken over part of my brain. And now I aggressively shut all those numbers down. There's a movie called Pontypool. It's, it's like an interesting movie. I don't know if it's a good movie. It's a zombie movie where the virus is spread by words. If people say certain words, it kind of infects you, turns you into a zombie, makes you killer or whatever, normal zombie stuff, but you don't have to bite them. You have to hear them say it. Mm. And I feel like we just did that with notifications, right? Like someone told you it really bothers you. (laughs) Then it bothered you. You just said it really bothers me and all the people that listen that haven't been infected yet are now infected. I'm so sorry. It's okay. All right, we'll just have to mute out that part of the conversation. Okay. <laughs> um, does that help? I don't know. If we only discussed a couple of solutions. Well, I mean, it's kind of par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect us to do? Solve your problem? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. We just ramble and then say, we've answered this question. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could quit your job and get a new one where they don't use Slack. Go back to IRC. Find a company yeah. that's so old school they have an IRC server. Yeah. We we went to the Computer History Museum in California, and it made me realize that there are times people worked before you could send someone a message of any kind without like physically writing it down or typing it out. Mm-hmm. You could only send it to one person unless you had someone like manually copy it for you. and. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Communication must have been so different back then. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was like months. Yeah. But now everyone gets to hear everything we say all at once. All right. I hope that helps, Lydia. <laughs> yeah. um, sorry. That's all I have to say to sum it up. <laughs> what else? What can people do if they want their own questions answered? Go to softskills.audio, and at the top of the page, you can click on Ask a Question, where you can fill out a form. Put in your name if you want. You can be anonymous if you want. And uh, thank you so much to everyone who has written in. There are just so many questions in our backlog and more come every week. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. You are the lifeblood of this show. I got it. What? Minority Report. You know how they they have the precogs who can see crimes happen before they happen? Uh Uh-huh. You need the Slack bot to tell people before they at channel. Oh. Like either, I mean, you can assume everyone is guilty and when they, every day before they join. Tell them don't add channel. Well, that that or, <laughs> that's the high recall approach from. That is, yeah, yeah. You would not have a false negative. Um, <laughs> or there's got to be some weird API to detect like what people are typing. Slack has to know what you're typing. Oh, yeah. So just ask them if you can see all the keystrokes people type but do not send, and then detect at channel. Yeah. Anyways, uh, okay. Now I feel a lot better about the solutions. <laughs> just throw AI at the problem. Yeah. Or magic. Same thing. Okay. <laughs> I thought AI was actually paying a bunch of low-wage workers to do things by hand. Oh, like Mechanical Turk? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that AI? Uh, no, right. that's actual intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what the A stands for in AI? Actual intelligence. You've solved it. Okay, thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next week.